If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Luke chapter 12. I have for some time been wanting to do an in-depth study on this chapter, and that time is now. And if I were to make some feeble attempt, and any attempt that I would make to summarize a scriptural passage, it would certainly be feeble, it would be that this chapter declares unto us that there is more than this. There is more than this world that we are in. There is more than this that we can see. There is more to our actions here and now than we can fully understand. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said of this chapter, You may rest assured that if it had been best for us to be taken away directly to heaven when we were converted, the Lord would have done it. And that He has not done so tells us there are wise reasons why He has left us here, but we live with eternity in view. There's more than this. Now we won't cover all the chapters, obviously, up until Luke chapter 12, but up to this point, Luke has been focused on the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has focused in on the messages of Jesus, the declaration of the truth, the truth of the good news, and the need for repentance. He has honed in on the signs and the wonders that Jesus has performed that back the message that He is preaching and declare visually that He is who He said He was. However, even by the truth which Jesus preached and the signs and wonders that he backed it with, it does not impact the hypocritical religious society that he is in. In fact, it is becoming increasingly hostile toward Jesus. The hostility aimed at Jesus, ultimately carried out in his arrest and crucifixion, is spearheaded by the Pharisees. The scribes, the lawyers. And as we near Luke chapter 12, we'll sense that hostility. It is as John said, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Now understand, and I know this isn't breaking news to you in the original manuscripts, chapter and verse divisions were not there. So what we encounter in Luke chapter 12, particularly the spirit of the crowd, is rooted in what goes on back in chapter 11. In chapter 11, Jesus is confronting the hypocritical Pharisees. Jesus is directly confronting the lawyers. In chapter 11, Jesus has attended a meal at the home of a Pharisee. In the home of the Pharisee, and everything that Jesus did, he did on purpose. Nothing is accidental. Jesus goes immediately and he reclines by the table and he prepares to eat the meal. In that moment, the Pharisees have gathered and the host looks at Jesus with amazement because Jesus did not first wash his hands. Jesus uses that moment in the home of the Pharisee in the presence of the lawyers, to directly address their hypocrisy when speaking of washing his hands, and he does so quite strongly. In fact, the spirit in the room, as we'll learn here in a moment, is getting pretty hostile. There's a vehement desire, to use the Bible word, for them to trap Jesus. 
rounding the corner to where ultimately they will arrest him. As Jesus exits the home of this Pharisee at the conclusion of that meal, we read this in Luke chapter 12 and the first part of verse 1. In the meantime, in the time that Jesus was eating in the home of the Pharisee, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod upon one another. While Jesus is in the house, already a large crowd had gathered, and while he was in there, the crowd gets larger. So large is the crowd of people, Luke's account is, they're literally stepping on each other. Every alleyway is packed wall to wall. As far as you can see down the streets, it's a Myriad, it's a sea of heads. The din of noise is certainly loud. Jesus probably has to work his way out of an already crowded house. He's going to enter into this street scene. He's going to meet a hostile crowd when he gets there. What follows is what I see as one discourse. It began in the room as Jesus addresses the Pharisees and the lawyers. It picks up in verse 1 of chapter 12 as Jesus steps out into the street. It will continue until Luke chapter 13 and verse 9. One discourse from Jesus Christ, the background of which, the subject of which is all about judgment. The coming judgment day. In effect, on the day of judgment, everything that has been hidden in this life will be made manifest. The thesis of everything that Jesus will say in this discourse is founded on this reality. There is more than this. There's more than this mere room that we're gathered in, this life that we're living, the opportunities that we encounter, the relationships we are engaged in, and the words that we speak. There's more to our efforts and our energy and our material possessions than we can see and maybe even understand in this moment. There is more than this. And I want to strike you with the boldness of Jesus and I need you to see the setting of this hostile crowd. Everywhere Jesus went, huge crowds followed him. People wanted to see miracles. People were hanging on every word. Motives were certainly varied. String the accounts together so that we can begin to really see the street scene that Jesus has entered into. Back in Luke chapter 11 and verse 29, we read this. And when the people were gathered thick together. Now Jesus is about to go into the meal at the Pharisee's house and the crowd is already getting thick. In fact, in the Greek is where we would derive the word myriad. It's an innumerable host. You can't even count it. That's what Luke will say as chapter 12 begins. In verses 53 and 54 of chapter 11, you'll sense the spirit of the room when we read this. He, as he, that is Jesus, said these things unto him. The scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things. Here's something we've got to grasp. Laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. They are hunting for Jesus as though he is an animal. They're laying wait for him. They're trying to catch him saying something blasphemous. Ultimately, he'll pay it off 
in Caiaphas and Annas' house as he'll, he'll betray them and their minds and he'll speak blasphemy. They'll see it all the way through to the crucifixion. Note that Jesus is not amongst friends. Realize that this crowd is quite hostile. Realize again that it's so thick when Jesus steps out into the street that people are stepping on each other. And verse 12 says this in the second part. He began to say unto his disciples, first of all, as Jesus walks out the door, pressed behind him is a mob of lawyers and Pharisees. He has already boldly gone directly at them inside the house and told the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. And when the lawyer said, by condemning the Pharisees, it seems that you're also condemning us, Jesus, in effect, says to them, take your medicine, you're exactly right. The vehement urging in the room, the hostility arises as they're trying to trap Jesus like an animal. Jesus exits the house and as he pushes through this small doorway, he steps into a crowd of people so large, they're stepping on each other. And Luke's account is, I'm so pressed, I couldn't get a count if I tried. The din of crowd noise is certainly up. And the second part of verse 1 says, Jesus began to speak unto his disciples first of all. The first words that are going to come out of Jesus' mouth in this setting are going to be to the small group of followers that are there in that crowd. In fact, later in this chapter, in verse 32, Jesus will say this, Fear not, little flock. He's addressing this little flock of disciples amongst these many innumerable wolves that have gathered around. Pressing in, you can literally feel their breath on your neck. They're stepping on your tunic as you move through the crowd. Jesus begins to speak to his disciples. And what he will do is speak against hypocrisy in a vivid way. Everybody that wants you to see Jesus as a weak and silent figure misses this Jesus, who stands in the midst of this crowd and boldly preaches against the Pharisees and the lawyers and the world. In effect, his message to his small group of disciples is, stand strong, don't be fooled, there's more than what you're feeling in this moment, there's more than what you can see gathered around you. He knows that his disciples in this moment might be tempted to gain popularity by pleasing the crowds that were around them. He knows that they might try to avoid trouble by pleasing the Pharisees and the scribes that are there. All of us want to be liked. It seems like such an easy thing to quote unquote act the part so that others will see us as we want to see us and we want them to see us. I think the question for this first passage in chapter 12 is, how can we keep hypocrisy out of our lives? If I were to ask, if you're a hypocrite, would you raise your hand? Probably not a lot of people would raise their hand. And, and I would say to you, come on, man. All of us are hypocrites. Very few of us are here portraying the real us. We're keeping under wraps what we really are. And Jesus is standing in this hostile crowd. And the first thing that he says to his disciples is in the third part of verse 1 when he says, Beware 
of the leaven of the Pharisees. And so there is no confusion. He says the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. Everybody gathered would have grasped this analogy immediately. Leaven is yeast. Leaven had become the symbol of the permeating power of sin. In fact, the Jewish people had to remove leaven from their home during Passover week. You'll recall they were to eat unleavened bread. It was depicting sin. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5.8 will make this clear when he says, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Leaven is sin, and the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And the analogy that Jesus is using, he does with the Pharisees and lawyers at his back, and a crowd of people so thick, if he would have broken to a run, he physically would not have been able to get away. And to his small little flock of disciples, he says, in the midst of this pressing throng, stand strong, recognize there's more than this, there's more than meets the eye. The thing about Jesus' analogy that is quite fearful is hypocrisy is not always loud. Hypocrisy is not always crass. Hypocrisy is not always obvious. Just like yeast, just like leaven, it works silently and invisibly. Just like yeast or leaven, it begins very small, but it grows very quickly, and it does so quietly. And as it grows, it infects the whole person. Hypocrisy does to the ego what yeast does to the bread. It puffs it up. The yeast of hypocrisy, the leaven of hypocrisy, if it isn't checked, will permeate someone's entire way of life to where they have no capacity to even process life outside of the hypocritical figure that they have become said this, it's like a camel who puts its nose into the tent and before you know it, it occupies the tent to such a degree that it expels the owner. The owner's no longer in there. You've become some version of yourself that you can't even identify. The creeping bacteria of hypocrisy is subtle. It's silent. It's deadly. A hypocrite can reach the point where they are complaining about the hypocrisy of someone else and not even realizing they're actually addressing themselves. It's deadly. We've become so fake, we don't even know who we are. Yet another said this, It's easy to mistake a morally restrained heart for a spiritually changed heart. And we are so adept as showing out moral restraint that we can fool people into believing that there's spiritual change, including ourselves. Jesus is not mandating moral restraint. He is driving and begging for spiritual change. And why hypocrisy is so hard to define is just that. The fact is, some of the biggest hypocrites in all the world appear the most righteous. But that is not to say that all people who appear to be righteous are hypocrites. 
But the fact is, we know what to show out. And Jesus is addressing this. Get this. Jesus would not have warned his little group of disciples about the danger of hypocrisy if it wasn't actually a danger. He knew the moment needed said. He knew the crowd was pressing and the Pharisees and lawyers were staring and he had to address it. What is hypocrisy? As I studied this, I came across what one author said were the fundamentals of hypocrisy. See if you see yourself in this. He said, here's one of the fundamentals of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is conformity to the values and expectations of someone else merely to appease them. Conformity to values is not hypocrisy. But if the motivation is merely to appease someone else, You are being hypocritical. Understand, hypocrisy is conformity. He said hypocrisy is inconsistency. Hypocrisy is the discrepancy between what appears and what is. Between the way things seem and the way things actually are. He said hypocrisy is deliberate deception. Hypocrisy is deliberately appearing to be what we are not. It is not accidental, it is purposeful. Hypocrisy is a charade. Appearance does not match reality, and that is deliberately so. He said hypocrisy is deception by our actions or our words. It is often acting in such a way that people will come to the wrong conclusion on purpose. We are faking them out. Ultimately, to summarize it, hypocrisy is sin. Jesus, in the midst of this hostile crowd, says, beware of hypocrisy. Ultimately, stop deceiving yourselves. Be who you say you are. We're all battling it to some degree. I get weary at times of people saying, I don't go to church anymore because hypocrites are there. I have to agree with them, you are correct. Hypocrites are at church, and at McDonald's, and at the grocery store, and at the mall, and at Walmart, and at Target, and in your house, and in your workplace, and in your car, and in your mirror every time you look in it. They're everywhere. Why? I don't go to church anymore because of the hypocrites. Somebody compared this. I enjoyed this. I don't go to church more because of what goes on there too. I don't go to the football game anymore because of what goes on there. He said, I don't go to the football game anymore because you know what? The coach never left the sideline and came up to greet me. He said, every time I go to the football game, they ask me for money. I'm not going anymore. They're always asking for money. You know, the people that were sitting in my row at the stadium, they weren't very friendly to me and actually some of them were rooting for the other team. I'm not going back anymore. You know, the temperature in the early season was way too hot, and in the late season it was way too cold. They never get the temperature right. I'm not going anymore. The referees, they make decisions that I don't agree with. I'm not going. The marching band always plays songs that I've never heard before. I'm not going back. I'm never going back. Some games went into overtime, and I got home late. I'm not going to the game anymore. Here's my favorite. My parents took me to so many games when I was young that I just don't want to go anymore now that I'm grown up. 
When you put those arguments on the football game, they don't hold any water, nor does it with the church. Hypocrites are everywhere. They're here in this room. Listen, there are out and out fakes that are a part of this church. And I'm going to go so far as to say there are those who would appear to be disciples of Jesus Christ who in that day are going to spend eternity in the torment of hell. There are others who are perceived as something or appearing to be something and their hearts set and their actions do not match that. And Jesus is going to make it clear. Why would I beware of hypocrisy? Let's read on verse 2. You say, that was all one verse? Yep. In this chapter. Verse 2. Here's what Jesus says. Here's why you should be afraid. Be wary of hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Why should you be wary of hypocrisy? Because full disclosure will come on judgment day. Everything will be revealed. And to get this, the disclosure will be ruthless. The disclosure will be ruthless. How many of you want everybody in this room to know everything that you've said and thought this week? Mm Mm-mm. I said in the first service, and I believe it, there may be like a 99-year-old grandma who had a pretty good week. The rest of us are like, keep it down. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want them to look. I got bad news for you. The disclosure will be ruthless. Be who you say are the things Jesus said whispered invisibly in the dark will be shouted from the rooftops in full light. A parallel passage in Mark 4 is when Jesus says, For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. That's derived from an Old Testament passage. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That can both heighten our anxiety and it can relieve us of some anxiety because in effect I could say to you, don't worry. Stop worrying about what has been done unto you and there is no secret recompense, nobody gets away with anything. I mean anything. Whispered secrets in the closet, they're not getting away with it. On another occasion, Jesus spoke of the consequences of hypocrisy in the context of the last judgment when he said, every idle word we speak will be brought into judgment. Every private conversation Everything that we've ever done in the privacy of darkness. Everything that we've ever done that we don't want people to see. And everything that we've ever done that we don't want people to hear. The light is going to be flicked on. And it's going to be awful. One commentator said this. The ground or matter of judgment is the deeds done in the body. Men are judged according to their works. The secrets of the heart are to be brought to light. God's judgment, he wrote, will not be founded on 
their profession. They won't be founded on the relations of men or on the appearance or reputation you sustain, but on real character. Real acts, however secret and covered from the sight of men those acts may have been, God will not be mocked, God cannot be deceived, the character of every man will be clearly revealed. This is some of the most severe scripture that we can come in contact with. I want to be careful because I know the book of Romans says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus So let me read what another said. If you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about being condemned by God on the last day. On the last day, your judge and defense attorney will be Jesus Christ. However, even though your entrance to heaven is not based in any way upon good works, good works contribute nothing to salvation, every one of us will be evaluated on that day according to our works. I've heard it said, time and truth go hand in hand. Eventually, the real us is coming out. Eventually, the real us will be seen. Given enough time, you know the truth about people. Another wrote this, and it's painful. All self-deception will be banished. For the first time, we will see ourselves as we really are. And let me say it to you this way you won't want to look. For the first time, when the light is flicked on, you will be seen and you will see yourself as you really are and you'll snap your head away in terror. Even the Pharisee who was so careful, even about how they folded their garment and how they carried out a strict diet. Even the Pharisee who was so careful about public appearance, when he sees himself and imagines that he'll be able to stare at that reflection, he'll snap his head away in horror. Take it down, I don't want to look. How many of you have reached the place in life where somebody gets a picture of you and you refuse to believe that's you? Every picture of me. When did I become 82 years old? I don't remember being 82 Apparently, I'm 82 and overweight. And somehow, I look dumb. How do you look dumb? I look unintelligent in that photograph. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know what I really look like. In this moment, we'll snap our face away because we'll see ourselves for what we truly are. Wouldn't it be a fearful thing if all were discovered or known about us at this moment in time? I want to manufacture your perception of me. I want to control all elements of the manufacturing process. Yet one said this, the limitless capacities of divine omniscience assure perfect exposure of hypocrisy. If you are not truly 1,000% who you say you are, make changes now because the light switch is going to be flipped on. Let me reference Spurgeon again. He said, therefore, it becomes us to behave in our private life just as we would do if all men were gazing upon us. Since we cannot conceal our true character, let us not be so foolish as to seem to be what we are not. Beware of hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's warning his little flock of disciples to avoid exposure at judgment day. There's more than this. 
I know you feel this crowd pressing in. They're stepping on you. I know you see the Pharisees and lawyers behind me. I know perhaps you want me to tone my message down. I'm not afraid of the wrong thing. That's what Jesus says next. Beware of hypocrisy. Get this. By being afraid of the right thing. Being afraid of the right thing. What do you mean? I'm so glad you asked. Look at verse 4. We've made it through three verses. We're cooking. Verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, who's he talking to? His disciples. How does he reference them? My friends. Why would he delineate? Because he has enemies in this crowd. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. I like to imagine, and in this moment in time, Jesus knows the Pharisees and lawyers are whispering behind him. They're trying to trap him. They're vehemently urging him. They're laying wait for him to say something, and whispers are beginning. We need to kill him. And Jesus says, my friends who can hear me, don't be afraid of those that can kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you should fear. Now, if Jesus was going to forewarn you of something, would you not need to take note of that? He said, let me forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Yeah, that makes sense. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus mentioned fear five times in these verses. He's teaching us that the basic cause of hypocrisy is fear. And the basic cure for hypocrisy is fear. The basic cause of hypocrisy is the fear of man. The basic cure for hypocrisy is the fear of God. The character of hypocrisy is that it fears men. The whole design of a hypocritical religious system is to train people to fear the leaders. To fear man. To put on a show for people. That's the heart of hypocrisy. That's what the Pharisees were all about. When we're afraid of what others may say about us or do to us, when we try to impress them in order to gain their approval, in effect, we'll even lie if we have to to accomplish our purposes. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus said, you are so fearful of man. You are thinking I should tone my message of truth down because this crowd is so big they're stepping on each other. Don't be afraid of them. You think I should tone my message down because I'm in earshot of the Pharisees and the lawyers. Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of God. The worst that these people can do is kill you. I would have said to Jesus last time I checked, that's a pretty big one. And Jesus says, yeah, the worst they can do is kill you. It's like somebody says, well, ask her out. The worst she can say is no. Like, no, she can go, ooh. Ooh is worse than no. But Jesus is saying truth here. Why are you afraid of the crowd? Why are you afraid of these religious fakes? The worst they can do is kill you. The basic characteristic of hypocrisy is fear of man. And the basic cure for hypocrisy is the fear of God. And all Jesus says is, be afraid of the right thing here. Stop fearing man and start fearing God. 
Stop being afraid of this religious system. He knows. They had reason to be afraid. The disciples will be martyred, man. All of them. He knew they had reason to be afraid. He knew there was pressure to appease the crowd. The crowd was pressing in. They were hostile. And Jesus said, stand strong. There's more than this. There's more than this moment. If they were to slide a knife in you and pierce your heart, in moments you would be dead. That's the worst they can do. Jesus says, get this perspective. How about you fear him who can both kill you and send you to hell for all of eternity? Fear him who controls after death. That's the one to be afraid of. If I were to go stand before the Lord, having pastored for decades, and I always capitulated to the whim of sister so-and-so and brother Billy Bob, two Bs. And I stood there and said, well, Lord, every time I had a decision to make, I looked stuck it up in the air to feel which direction the wind was blowing and the critics always were breathing down my neck and every time I tried to do something I, I, I just would get yelled at and I'd get a nasty email or I'd get a text or a phone call and people were so mean and so nasty that I had to begin to work my way through ministry to keep people happy and Jesus could show me the scars in his hands and say but I died for you and I called you and assigned you with a holy unction to lead the church of Jesus Christ, shouldn't you have considered there was more than this? That one day you would stand and answer to me? Well, the world, you don't understand. We had to be careful about how we told the truth and we had to make it palatable because the throngs, the masses thought we were kooks. The masses hated our message was too challenging and convicting and countercultural, so we had to just kind of tone it down a little bit. And Jesus would say to us, I stood in a street where you couldn't move, scribes and the Pharisees at my back, and an innumerable host in front of me, and I called them hypocrites to their face, and I told them to repent or judgment would come. Jesus would say, I don't understand your pleasing man. I don't understand how you lived your life without the awareness that there's more than this. I can put people in hell. Be afraid of that. That's the reality of a future hell. You say, well, I don't know. People now are kind of removing the concept of hell from Scripture. I don't know about you. Those are, um, those are red words for slow learners. That's a reality. Mankind can do their worst. But they can't reach beyond the grave. God can reach beyond the grave. And he will. The fear of God is the fear that conquers all other fears. For the person who truly fears God needs fear nothing else. It was said of John Knox as he was lowered into his grave. Here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of man. The Christian needs to understand a godly fear, to fear God in a righteous way. Yes, we come before Him boldly. Yes, we can call Him Father, but He is the Lord God omnipotent. Now, I don't know if you picked up on it in the verses we read, and then I'm done. Jesus shifts tone because He starts talking about the worth of birds and the hair on people's heads. An interesting change of direction. 
Fear him who can put you in hell. By the way, know something. You are more valuable than a bird, and I know the number of hairs on your head. Omniscience is both comforting and scary, is it not? Don't download TikTok, because the Chinese will know everything about what you're doing. They're watching you through TikTok. Get it off your phone. Now, we'll get panicked about TikTok on our phone and we'll delete the app, but there are other things in our life we don't delete, and it's not the Chinese government that's watching us. It's an omniscient God who's watching us. We're so dumb, we fear balloons and apps more than we do God who knows the number of hair on our heads. And Jesus says, hey, he knows the number of hair on your head. Now, that can be a fear-inducing thing. Whoa. So what you're saying is if he knows all the number of hairs that are on my head, he is also then aware of the motivation of my heart. Yep. You think he knows about the conversation I had last week? Yep. Do you think he knows? Yes. Let's just settle on it. All of it. But then Jesus says this, and it's striking. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Don't be afraid. He is talking to us about God's omniscience, and then he uses it to comfort us. You have great value to him. And in, a, in, in this moment, if we stay married to this context, here's a little flock amongst a bunch of wolves who are thinking to themselves, and I believe this, they're thinking to themselves, so this is how it ends. We're going to be trampled. We're going to be ripped limb from limb. Jesus talking with heads as far as the eye can see. Almost impossible to move down the alleyways. Jesus says, relax. Relax. He's got your hairs numbered. You matter to him so deeply. He's telling us yet again, there's more than this, man. There's more. Your value does not belong in the hands of somebody that's in this room. Your value ultimately belongs to him. Stop being afraid of what they think. Stop constantly shifting and changing to appease and keep them. He's the one who has placed value on you and you matter. You have so much worth to him. Fear him. He is all-knowing and he cares. That's comprehensive knowledge. Don't let that strike fear into you. Understand, he wants to encourage you. He knows everything about you. You have no reason to lie to impress anyone. Fear God. He already knows it all. Why ultimately do I care so much about what you think? Why do I care? If I'm pleasing him, what does it matter? Now, some people use that, like, well, God, I can do whatever God wants, and, and I can punch you in the face, because that, that makes God happy. Now, it might make God happy for some of you to get punched in the face, but I should be the decider of who those people are. I should also be made happy if God's going to be made happy. Beware of hypocrisy. If it was not something we had to be wary of, why would Jesus ever warn his disciples to be wary of it? The cause of hypocrisy is the fear of men. The cure, Jesus says, be afraid of the right thing. I won't take the time, though I could, add a whole other point to this message, which is be aware of the Holy Ghost. Where Jesus is again saying, in effect, going to come moments where you're going to be stuck in front of people. Persecution's going to arise. Know that the Holy Spirit will help you in those moments say the right thing. 
He sees you. He knows where you are. He'll direct your words. Stop caring so much about the here and now. Worry more about the there and the then. Live with that day in mind. In these verses, I think the cure for hypocrisy is be real. Because there's more to this life than what you can see. And the day is coming when it will be manifest. You say, but I spent all my life trying to keep this person happy. And to please them, I made this one mad. And so I pleased them. To please them, I made this one mad. And I tried always to do the right thing. Just, just fear God. Fear God. The fear of man bringeth a snare. How do I live without hypocrisy? Beware of it. Be afraid of the right thing. Be aware of the Holy Ghost inside you. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes for just a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.